Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today we're going to talk some USC spring football getting going a week from today. Uh, actually, well, six days from today. Uh, Tuesday, March 8th, USC will kick off spring football. Uh, should be really interesting. So we're going to talk with Dan Weber from uscfootball.com all about what's going on with the team. Um, he's got a lot of previews and stuff going up. If you have any questions for us, we're going to have him answer some of your questions. Email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can leave a voicemail a couple different ways. Call 641-715-3900, then dial extension 816-646, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com, and click on the left side of the page. We have our own iTunes URL now, itunes.com slash peristylepodcast, where you can leave uh, feedback, leave a rating, and of course, subscribe to our feed. And I want to bring in Dan. Before we do anything else, what's up, Dan? How are you doing? Yeah, getting ready for, I think, one of the most anticipated springs that I can remember. Uh, just, there's just an upbeat. I mean, we were down at the, uh, speaking last week at the uh, Vista uh, Trojan Fanatic Club, and they had the biggest crowd they'd had. And people, you know, they had to put up extra tables and chairs. And, uh, People are pretty excited. Uh, I think the uh, the new coaching staff is playing really well. I think you know Clay has done a a great job filling out that coaching staff, and um, uh, they're pretty excited about you know what they think, what USC football fans think is is gonna you know the possibilities that could you know come with this uh, this team. So there's kind of an upbeat you know a buzz, and and I do think people you know football practice can't start soon enough. Yeah, for sure. I'm really excited to get back out there. Uh, especially we haven't got to cover the, uh, the winter workouts yet. We'll be able to cover them in the summer. And just want to thank our sponsor for our, our show with Dan, Michael Moline Real Estate. He's our buddy. He's our friend. Big time USC Trojan. And I uh, got to have lunch with him a couple weeks ago. MichaelMolineRealEstate.com or call him at 310-275-4688 if you need any help. With real estate here in Southern California, he can help you out. He's based up in Beverly Hills. And like I said, uh, big Trojan fan. Loves USC, so if you want a, a USC real estate agent, he's a good guy to go with. Um, Dan, so you're going to do a bunch of previews uh, coming up this next week, leading up to spring football. Uh, but one of the one of the, the kind of news things that's been going around today a little bit is uh, Caleb Wilson, um, the uh, walk-on tight end from Sarah High School, uh, ended up he's going to transfer to UCLA and actually get a scholarship. So he was, you know, coached by Marcus Tuasasopo, who was a tight end coach for a while when he was there. Just want to kind of get your your thoughts on that. Of course, his dad, Chris Wilson, if people didn't know, uh, was fired as a defensive line coach, went to Missouri for a little while, but now he's with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, but his son was able to go to school for free because he was obviously uh, he's a you know employee, a coach on the staff, so their kids can go to USC for free. Once he left, that wasn't the case anymore. He gets a scholarship offer from UCLA, and uh, that's where he is now. So just kind of get your thoughts on that, Dan, if that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that he wouldn't have stayed. Uh, he was a great kid, uh, recruited for USC, 
uh, he was out working. The one day we stopped by the, the winter workouts, he was out there working with him. Uh, but, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. If somebody's going to offer you a scholarship at a pretty good school uh, with your old coach, uh, you go there. And USC didn't have a scholarship, I think, when Connor, you know, from one tight end, Connor Spears, uh, he'd been here a year and a half, uh, played uh, two seasons, but uh, USC couldn't offer him a scholarship until he'd been here two full years or it would have counted against their initial grant. The same way for uh, for Caleb, been here a year. Uh, so even if USC, you know, they're, they're not at 85 scholarships yet, and it, it, it's just, it, it bothers me that USC isn't able to get up to 85 scholarships now that we know what the NCAA did to USC in order to be able to penalize USC the way they did. Uh, I, I really think USC, at the very least, should have demanded and done almost anything that they needed to do to get the NCAA to say, look, you're an exception. If you're below 85 scholarships, Whatever number you choose to give in a particular year to get to 85 for the first time since uh, the sanctions, you're allowed to do it. The USC should have demanded that right and, and should have, you know, said to the NCAA, we will do whatever is necessary, uh, because we feel, you know, so strongly about this. But now you've got, you know, Connor Spears, a great kid and a real contributor. And now um, um, Caleb Wilson, who had, I think, real potential, uh, great, great receiver, terrific kid, uh, you know, an athlete, uh, not not a big, thick, you know, tight end type kid, but, uh, you know, a flex guy and a guy who's going to get bigger, going to get tougher. And it was just really good for the program. So to, to see guys like that, having to leave because USC can't offer them anything even if they wanted to, that that that's bothersome, I think, and it's the kind of thing I think USC left on the table with the NCAA and should not have. That's worth fighting for, I think. But, uh, you know, that's just, uh, that's just me second-guessing them from the outside, and they will always tell you that, you know, we know best. And uh, <laughs> you don't know how much we, we really, uh, you know, fought for things and, yeah, we didn't get anything, but we were really trying hard, uh, <laughs> quietly. And I, I think this is the kind of thing they should have made, made a public uh, issue out of. And, and it's too bad, but I, I'm absolutely thrilled for Caleb. I think he deserved, you know, a scholarship somewhere. And, uh, if he could get it at UCLA as difficult as that could be for USC, he's got to do it. For sure. And uh, a lot of upside with Caleb Wilson. You know, he played quarterback a lot of, you know, high school career at Sarah, then moved over and started playing tight end wide receiver. So, um, you know, skinny kid, but can definitely catch the ball. It'll be interesting to watch him kind of develop, especially with UCLA and like the pro style offense they got going over there. So, like I said, great kid. We'll wish him the best. And it'll be interesting to kind of follow his career now that he's over at UCLA. Um, yeah, I guess what I'm not sure about is, the first thing we heard that UCLA was going to do was it was going to be much more run-oriented, power run game with Kennedy Palomalu as the uh, offensive coordinator, and that's what he likes, and that's what he wants. And now we're hearing it's going to be more pro-style. It's going to be pro-style. I guess you could combine those two. Uh, 
but I'm kind of interested in, in where you at you know UCLA goes. Maybe uh, uh, maybe the Rosen kid uh, nixed the previous offense and decided he didn't want to do that or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's jump into some questions, Dan. Uh, we'll start off with Tarek, who wrote in. We didn't have you on last week. We kind of was taking a little bit of a break. Uh, he wrote in a couple of things about Sam Darnold, so I'll read you both. He said, what does Sam Darnold do well uh, that gives us reason to believe he will be neck and neck with Max Brown come the spring? And what does Sam uh, Darnold do well that has the coaches raving about it? Well, he felt like a linebacker. And he runs like a uh, runs like a running back. He runs like a big, big running back. Um, the thing I was amazed, and I'd seen him uh, a couple of times in high school, and often in games where he was, he mostly ran the ball. Now, he didn't always have a lot of people to throw the ball to. Uh, and I saw him in, in basketball games where he, I guess, he was the number one rebounder in Orange County, and he was a physical kid and a competitor and all of that. And then we saw him last summer come out and throw the heck out of the football. I was like, whoa, you know, who knew that he was technically uh, had the arm that he had? I mean, you talk about spinning the ball. He did it really well. I mean, it was one of those things, the first few practices. Uh, Ricky Town had been here in the uh, spring, but then I think when the two were on the on the practice field in the summer, it was uh, summer workouts. It, it was like, whoa, you know, Sam Darnold is just, and there wasn't even a, any comparison. It was, he was that much at a different place, bigger, stronger, quicker, uh, and threw the ball way better and very instinctive kind of a kid. So whether that translates into he's going to be pushing Max, I think that it will be good to have that kind of two-man competition. And I think, you know, I think uh, Jalen Green has proved himself that he's a playmaker and he's going to get a chance. But uh, I think it might be asking a lot uh, of Sam, who essentially what he did last year was uh, run the scout team and, you know, ran it well. But that doesn't necessarily get you into the same, uh, you know, area even though you've had a fall. Uh, you don't really develop the kind of, uh, you know, skill set that you need to, to lead a team. Uh, what I would like to see is that Sam is in a place where whenever they might need him, if they need him, he's ready to go. And that'll take a, some real significant, uh, work to get to that place. There's just an awful lot. I guess one of the good things from his perspective is, but kind of starting over with the playbook. So, uh, you know, you might not have as much of an advantage. They're trying to make it more simple. So the three years that, uh, uh, you know, Max has had may not be uh, a big, big advantage like it could have been if you're just moving right into the absolutely same system. But, uh, but Sam does a lot of things well. And I guess USC fans could say, this would be their dream scenario that Max Brown has such a good year that here he's graduated, he, and unlike other USC guys, he decides, you know, it might be best to move on to the NFL. And Sam Darnold comes so far and so fast this year that he's ready to step in. 
because Max won't be able to move on unless he has a great year, which would be good for USC football. And at that point, if Sam is ready, uh, then that would, could also be good for USC football. So maybe that's the, you know, the dream scenario, uh, for USC, uh, quarterbacks this year. All right. We'll see what kind of goes on there. It should be really interesting. Uh, a lot of Sam Darnold. I know a lot of people are high on him. So that'll be one fun thing to watch. One of the storylines to watch this spring. Um, let's go to Stephen Poway. He says, love the podcast. You guys are the best of the business, bar none. Well, thank you, Steve. If you have had a chance to meet with the assistant coaches, including the strength and conditioning coaches, is there a common thread uh, among all of them that you have noticed? Are there some things that they are saying that are similar, or do they all seem like individuals who are still trying to find their common identity? And official titles aside, are there any coaches who stand out as leaders among the group? Thanks from Steve and Poway. Well, I think one of the things that comes across is this this staff, brand new in a, in a lot of ways and new to one another, although they all, if you go back, there are a lot of different connections along the way where these guys have coached together, bonded together, worked with and for one another and all of that. So, you know, it's a new group as a whole here at USC, but there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of connections there. I think the thing that comes across is, uh, and I mentioned this, uh, in getting in to talk to Coach Callaway and Coach Elton, Coach, uh, Baxter, that I don't think, I hadn't been in there for a couple of years. I hadn't been in McKay. I hadn't been in a coach's office. And that was kind of a sense of they didn't really want you in there or didn't really trust you to be in there or whatever. This staff looks more uh, outgoing, more welcoming. They certainly look like, and they proved it, I think, with recruiting, how they uh, how they did it, approached it as team recruiting and shared recruiting and helping one another out recruiting and stepping up and, and doing all that kind of you know thing that you didn't see as much of with the previous staff. I mean, one of the problems, there's no question about it, one of the problems, for example, on defense is they didn't get along. You know, Coach Wilson and, you know, they, they didn't always agree with the general thrust of where that defense was going. And there were times when guys said, look, I'm going to try to do what's best for my guys, and, and that may be uh, – not exactly what the the defense coordinator wants to have happen. So I do think these guys are hitting the ground much more of a of a coaching staff that has the kind of chemistry that you need. I think that was one of the things Clay you know set out to do was to put together a staff that would really be together. And I know, for example, on offense that they're spending a ton of time with uh, you know T Martin and. Tyson Helton and Coach Calloway and, uh, and Tommy Robinson and, uh, John Baxter, uh, to kind of reconstruct a playbook. And yet I don't know that it's going to be one of those ones that's going to be written in stone because they're going to, you know, then experiment and see, you know, what do we do well and what can we do well? And, you know, I always got the sense that like last year in the run game, that the offensive linemen and the backs weren't always on the same page. And, uh, same with the, you know, the pass protection. Uh, and, uh, I think that's a big emphasis and that's a big difference. Uh, as far as leaders, 
you know, kind of a lot of individuals. I mean, Baxter's sort of this, you know, one-of-a-kind uh, character who's coming in with different thoughts and, you know, outside the box. Coach Callaway at one time had more, I guess, SEC championship rings than anybody, any living person uh, had coached, you know, I've been offensive coordinator, line coach at, at, um, at Alabama, had been a head coach at UAB. He's a, he's an imposing figure and a three-year player for, uh, for Bear Bryant in the seventies. So, um, uh, he's, uh, Tyson Helton is a really engaging guy, uh, very personable, very much, uh, very sharp, impressive guy. Uh hadn't gotten to meet Ronnie Bradford yet, but you, everybody talks about his enthusiasm and all the kinds of things he's got going for him. I think Kenichi Udezi is probably most serious and he will be the rookie coach at college football who is veteran than anybody you could ever imagine. I mean here's a guy who's done it all, been there and knows how he wants it done and isn't afraid to tell everybody. So uh, I, I just think it's got a lot of interesting personalities that I think are going to work really well together, but I think they got a lot of leaders uh, and guys that are, you know, aren't going to be afraid to say, this is, this is what we need to do. I mean, we've got, you know, how Tommy Robinson was when he was here the first time and how well he handled that five-man, you know, rotation at running backs and starting with Buck Allen. Uh, I think Johnny Nansen will now be coaching his position he played in college at linebacker. And that has to be, that has to be a good thing. So, uh, I think, I think it's kind of going to be a blend of, of a lot of personalities and, uh, you know, a lot of guys. I think, I think it's going to be pretty, it's an interesting combination. I think they're going to be really close to the kids, closer than we saw the last couple of years, but I think they're going to be tougher on them. And it's going to be interesting how that how that dynamic works, but uh, but I'm I'm pretty upbeat on on the coaching staff that Clay's put together, and I think the one thing you really have to like about Clay, he wants to be a head coach. He does no he no longer, other than maybe in very rare exceptions, does he want to be the play caller or the offensive coordinator. He wants to be able to be the guy who coaches the coaches which is what you want your head coach to do. And he wants to be a head coach. He's not trying to still be a play caller. And I like that a lot. Let's uh, go to Earl of West L.A., Dan. He said, is it true that Kerry Colbert is, they call him Kerry, but it's not, that's not, <laughs> Kerry Colbert is leaving Alabama where he's an offensive analyst and coming to USC to serve in a similar capacity. Yeah, yeah, how about that? Uh, USC, I'm going through the numbers now, but they have increased the staffing kind of quietly. But if you look at uh, the numbers, uh, those numbers are, are, are moving upward, and, and you've got to. I mean, if you – gosh, I still – I tell people about, you know, on National Signing Day when they were at Clemson, ESPN was at Clemson, and they went into this one office where they had 20 employees who were doing – Social media for recruiting, 20. And they had created something like 400 million impressions over the last year. Uh, and if you're Clemson, you probably got to do stuff like that, but they're doing stuff like that. I mean, I think Alabama has essentially 
three go between uh, you know the regular staff that's allowed to go to practice and then the analysts and uh, all the people that work basically hire coaches to uh, uh, to do a lot of their strength and conditioning stuff and and see the recruiting stuff so you're competing with a ton of people uh, Ohio State does very much the same thing I thought I think somebody noticed that they're hiring as an analyst at Ohio State a guy who's been a uh, uh, division one you know coach at Rutgers I guess it's Mike Loxley I guess uh, and he's, you know, going in at, at a football analyst position. So, uh, there's kind of a, a real war going on, uh, you know, at, uh, at the top level, college football. And you probably gotta, you gotta be there. And so getting Kerry Colbert back, I think, I always remember this. In all the years he was here, Pete Carroll said he thought Kerry, of all the players he's had, would be the most likely one to go, uh, and be a, really successful coach so um that's probably as good a you know as good a, a you know recommendation i guess you would say because it wasn't specific to carrie it was just carrie was still playing there and pete said he might be the guy of, of all the guys and now you got carrie and and Kenichi. and so you've got you know connections back to when you when usc was you know, better than anybody else and expected to be better than anybody else. And I do think that attitude is, is really a good thing to, you know, have guys that connect to that, uh, that time in USC football. Um, yeah. Speaking of that, another guy that's coming back didn't, wasn't a, a great player at USC, but he came over with, uh, when Monty Kiffin was over is Austin Thomas and Earl wanted to know about him too. What is the addition of Austin Thomas to the football staff? mean to the program and what does it say about the direction clay helton is leading the program well i mean i think that's where they're expanding you know those roles for guys uh in the uh in the recruiting area i mean i think there's there's definitely you know there are definitely uh, uh positive things happening in uh because you don't you know where you've got limits the ncaa puts limits on strength and conditioning guys they put limits on uh on the field coaches and people who can recruit off campus, but there's not exactly limitations on um, on what you can do with the rest of your recruiting staff. And I think a lot of schools have decided, you know, the coaches have so much to do. What if you had someone who wasn't a coach uh, doing an off, wasn't on the field? You could still meet with the uh, recruits when they come on campus, and you could, but you can do a lot of the. Um, uh, you know, communicating with them and a lot of, you know, correspondence and all that kind of thing. And, uh, and once you get them on, on, on campus, you can do a lot of work with them. So I think USC's been moving in that direction, but, uh, but I think that's a good sign that they really are, are committed to doing whatever, whatever it takes, uh, you know, to make it, make, make it work for USC. So I think that's a, that's a very good, uh, very good move. You know, David had a question uh, regarding Caleb Wilson. We talked about at the top of the show. Um, so he said, so transfers are usually blocked within conferences. Now UCLA is getting a tight end uh, and our tight end coach. Uh, so they hired Marcus Tuiasipo. Do you guys think this could lead to an unfair advantage? They can just steal our recruiting tactics and even our, our culture. Why not just 
get one walk-on from each school to transfer to your program and have them tell you the playbook. Uh, thanks from David. That's a lot of scholarships you'd have to give out if you have to get a walk-on from every program to come over, but get, get your thoughts on what yeah, David has Yeah, and to be honest, if, uh, give them, I'd give them last year's playbook. What the heck? Uh, I'd give them the playbook. I wouldn't even have to tell it to them. Uh, to be honest, I think UCLA probably had it. Uh, so I'm not going to cast the Spurs. It didn't do them any good last year, but the previous two. Uh, I don't think there's any way you would be such a, if you tried to block that kind of a transfer in immediate play, when they're offering him a scholarship, a scholarship and USC's not, you'd be the biggest bunch of jerks that ever lived. I mean, you'd make Jim Moore look like, uh, you know, the neatest guy in the world if you did something like that. So I don't think they can, you can't even think about doing that. And, you know, I mean, that's what happens when, uh, when people, there really wasn't a place going forward for Marcus Tuiasa Sopra at USC. I mean, we all liked him. Good guy, good recruiter, all of, uh, lots of good stuff, but, but we knew he was looking around and, and possibly wasn't going to be, uh, be here for the long, long term. And, uh, you know, USC got him. He had been at UCLA, so he'd been back and forth. So I don't know that that's, you know, any kind of, you know, I don't think anybody at USC was thinking we were stealing UCLA's culture when he came over. And it, I'd be embarrassed if I were UCLA thinking they have to bring USC people over to steal their culture. Um, and I don't think you'd get any of them to admit that. Um, and that would be the, the little brother syndrome, you know, writ large. Uh, but, um, I, I, I'm fine. I'm fine with uh, with him being able to go over there and play right away. And I don't think he's able, he's going to be able to take that much because he basically it would have been a different story if he'd have gone through spring ball and really had you know had the playbook and all of that. Even though still, if USC can't offer him a scholarship, you know he should have that right. But uh, but that would make it a little more problematic if. They'd already installed everything, and uh, and uh, you know. But when you're playing UCLA, the last game or the second last game of the year every year, they got your playbook. I mean, you know, there's just not a whole lot by that time of year that they're going to be able to you know take from uh, a transfer in the spring. All right, we got uh, another. This was a long one from Steve, so bear with me for a minute. Sorry about that. Says, uh, I've attended at least one home game since 2004 and many before that going back to 1992 when I was a student at USC. It seems like the atmosphere in the Coliseum has changed a lot since the mid 2000s and not for the better. I believe this may be taking away some of the former home field advantage mojo we used to have, especially when Pete Carroll was coach. Here's three things I noticed. One, the way games used to start with M&M's lose yourself and the players rocking near the tunnel used to create an aura which seemed to carry over into the game. Think Rock Chalk, Jayhawk, KU, and the dark before Kansas basketball games. Two, the band used to be louder and featured more prominently when they were actually in the student section. Even when they first moved to the sun deck, they seemed to be louder. Now they're behind the quote-unquote stables, or harem tents, he calls them. The band just doesn't have the same noise projection as often heard in echoes during the broadcast. And three, the massive new Trojan Vision Board went from being a pretty cool place to show the in-game highlights of becoming an advertising venue and a football player video cheering venue, which seems over the top and even a distraction for the game. 
I've seen football players looking up at the board during games when they are playing their videos and wonder if they're even paying attention to the game. Do you agree with any of these issues or am I the only one having a hard time with the new Coliseum experience? And that's before the proposed quote-unquote upgrades become a reality. And some, can we go back to 2004 this year? That's from Steve. Well, I think a lot of that is the way they were playing in 2004 and 2005. I mean, let's face it, what was it, 34 straight wins? And how many, I'm trying to remember what the number at home was and all those records and that. That made it a lot easier to uh, have that kind of atmosphere, I think, at the Coliseum. But I don't think you're wrong. I think the band, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't say enough negative things about those, uh, those suites that are down in the end zone and with the band above and behind and all that. That, you're, you couldn't be more right there. Uh, that whole Sun Deck thing has never, it never been right for me, uh, never looked right, never felt right. Uh, you know, I just, I agree. Okay. On that. Uh, as far as the video board, I'll tell you what, I think a lot of the times guys are looking at that video board because it actually helps them to see what happened in, on that play. Who was where? Uh, I don't know that they're looking, you know, to just say, Oh, how good do I look on this play or whatever with replay and all the other stuff. Uh, I mean, I think the video board is something that's really important. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's now the third largest in college football, but, uh, it's still a, a gigantic asset, I think, to the program. Uh, the amount of advertising on there, uh, you know, if they're playing well and, and winning the way you would expect them to at home, that won't be a problem. But, uh, but it's like everything else. It, 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 you know, moves on with, uh, you know, the more people that are watching it, the more, uh, the more advertising is going to go up there. Uh, and chasing that dollar, I mean, I don't think there's anything in the world in terms of selling those private boxes down on the field that would make you want to say, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do it. Uh, you know, and USC's limited. There's no question about it. They've waited way too long to try to do something to the Coliseum, and they may not be doing the right things, uh, but, you know, it, it it does limit you without without private boxes. They, I think they should have figured out another way to do it um, and should have, you know, taken advantage of it when they had everything going for them a decade ago. Uh, you know, obviously the, the governance of the Coliseum was still up for grabs and nobody knew what all the stuff that was going on with the Coliseum Commission, the people running the Coliseum was until, you know, maybe a little bit after that. But again, you would have liked to see USC be a little more aggressive there and, uh, you know, get some better answers. And now I'd still like to see them get some better answers to, uh, uh, to adding the private suites other than gutting so many sideline seats on the press box side. And, uh, you know, this is a stadium built for the Olympics, obviously, and for the way football used to be, and uh, and, and with track and field and a track, and uh, didn't have a lot of sideline seats to begin with at the Coliseum. And then when you take out a bunch of them and, and for private boxes, that's probably not the way I would have gone. But we'll see how this plays out, but I don't disagree with a lot of what you said there. I think those are pretty astute observations. All right, we've got a couple more, and we'll let you go, Dan. We have John in Northridge. 
He says, I was wondering whether inadequate strength and conditioning played any role in the team's failures in rushing the quarterback on defense or protecting Cody while on offense. Juju excluded, it does not look like most of the boys are putting forth maximal effort in the weight room, especially the linebackers and linemen. Quote in parentheses, the positions where muscle mass works to your advantage the most. Just look at all the current Pro Bowl SC alum in the NFL. Tyron Smith, Clay Matthews, Brian Cushing, Everson Griffin, the Khalils, Nick Perry, Nakel Roby. These guys were absolute warriors in the weight room back at SC, and that translated to the next level. I don't see many of those types on the current team. Do you think Ivan and the staff will change anything in their program this offseason? Are the strength coaches doing anything different from how Coach Carlisle and the prior SC strength coaches ran things during the Carroll era? Thanks for all you do, John in Northridge. Yeah, John, I think I think Ivan is is really good strength coach, and he came in, you know, with his basically an apprenticeship under you know Coach Carlisle. I like the fact that that their theory is more football related type movements and strength and conditioning uh, type movements. Um, I think they work really hard at it. I I think if there was a problem you know, protecting the quarterback, if there was a problem rushing the quarterback, if there was a problem. Uh, you know, just driving people off the line of scrimmage in the run game. I think it was less the strength and conditioning people, although one would like to have seen, uh, a, a little more emphasis in, uh, in the whole sports nutrition thing. Uh, but I think, and I'll get to that, there's a, there's a twist on that. Um, but, uh, but I think it was more the coaching. I think it was more the way they practiced. I think it was more the way they they did what they did, the way they emphasized, the way they schemed it, the way they uh, put it together. And uh, I just think it it the, the previous two head coaches didn't exactly see it the way it probably needed to be seen for this team to to get you know with some limitations and the sanctions and all of that for this team to. To, uh, develop as good as it, as it could be. One of the things they did do, this is in, 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 you know, with the stamping up that I, that I really like, is they brought in a director of sports nutrition, uh, for last fall from the Eagles named Michael Menace and very well, uh, regarded and, and, and a guy who I think they, you know, everybody liked him and thought this is a guy that, that we really need. I don't know that he had, uh, had time to have a big impact right away over time. I think, you know, with guys like, uh, um, you've got guys that, that need to, you know, pick up weight like, uh, um, say Chad Wheeler or at least keep it on. I know, uh, it was a big deal with Max Turk, who I saw actually did get up and, and was holding on to 298 when he was at the combine. Uh, a guy like Quentin Powell. I think there are, you know, guys that probably Ronald Jones. You want to see him, uh, not lose any, uh, quickness, not lose any strength, but, but really develop, uh, from, you know, 185 to 190 pounds that he played out as a freshman. But, uh, Unfortunately for USC, Michael Menace was, he came to USC from, uh, the Eagles and they rehired him apparently very recently. And so USC is out looking for a, a, a new director of, uh, you know, performance nutrition, but that's a position they didn't have. Uh, they had, uh, Becky Twombly 
who was a, a sports is a sports nutritionist, but she was trying to do all the teams or almost all the teams, and that's probably just too much to do. So uh, I think he was really uh, Michael was uh, somebody who could devote a lot of time to football, and I think they do need need somebody to do that. But but I'm 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 in Ivan's corner. I think he he does the right things in the right way, and uh, if it doesn't show, I don't think it was the strength and conditioning guys. I know the same with Kenichi. I mean, Kenichi D. Daisy might have been as, you know, as, as, uh, full scale a, uh, you know, a talent as a strength and conditioning guy with all his expertise as a player in the NFL and, and all his expertise as a coach. Uh, I think you had the right people doing what they were trying to do. I know Kenichi wasn't very happy with a lot of the things that were happening in football. But uh uh but I I'm not gonna pin it on the strength and conditioning guys. I I, I don't I don't think that's where where the blame lies for, for things not happening the way you'd like to see them happening. I mean a lot of the you know the defensive line you know, playing the two gap technique, he just didn't have you know, with the responsibilities those guys had, uh, they were basically holding their ground, but you didn't really free up anybody, and and they weren't blitzing. So, you know, the ability to get to the quarterback, I think, was much less strength and and uh, conditioning related, and much more scheme and coaching. All right, we got one last one for you, Dan. This is from another Dan, uh, class of 1962. He said, thanks for all the great information on the podcast from you, Coach High, Dan Weber, and Gerard. Sorry to hear about the passing of Rudy, uh, is it Buckrich? Rudy uh, Bukic. Bukic, yeah, Bukic, sorry. Yeah, okay. he was a strong arm. I, I did hear this once, uh, that he had the strongest arm in the NFL. He was, he, um, I guess he threw the, the Rose Bowl touch, winning the only touchdown in a seven nothing Rose Bowl win over Wisconsin at 53. Played for three or four NFL teams. And the story was he, he could throw the ball a hundred yards. He had apparently the strongest arm in the NFL that he could literally throw it from one goal line to the other. So, yeah, uh, um, I think he was living in Del Mar. But, um, but it, uh, you know, a great Trojan. Wow. Um, well, he, so he goes on to say, he subbed for an injured Jim Sears and led us to a victory over Wisconsin in the 1953 Rose Bowl. Despite limited USC playing time, he still had a stellar NFL career, mainly with the Bears. Can you bring us up to date regarding the injury situation and specifically Michael Pittman, Pittman and a Jane A. Harris. Uh, thanks and fight on. And Dan, I actually, I'll jump in real quick. I talked to Jane A. Harris over the weekend at the LA, uh, regional opening camp. Um, so he was there. A lot of, a lot of USC players were there, like John Houston, Jane A. Harris, Osa Messina, cause his brother was performing. Uh, a bunch of dudes like that. There was a dude from Crenshaw, uh, that a Jane A. was kind of watching one of his buddies. Uh, but he's, he told me it's very excited. He's 100%, 150%. He said he's just rip-roaring, ready to go, um, really ready to get back out there again. So he ended up redshirting last year, his sophomore season. So he'll be a redshirt sophomore this year. And if you remember, he didn't play any wide receiver at Crenshaw. He was like a cornerback and kick returner and quarterback. 
Um, they moved him over to wide receiver in the summer and he looked like he'd been playing there for his whole life. So, um, he's one of those interesting guys that'll be wa- fun to watch in the spring. I haven't heard really anything on the, the, um, clavicle injury with, uh, Michael Pittman, but that's the latest I got on a Jenny Harris. Yeah. I mean, a Jenny was the guy we first met when he showed up that he was still in high school at a winter workout when they had like, they were down to one or two wide receivers. If you can remember those bad old days, it was three years ago, I guess. And, uh, nobody knew, well, we, we weren't really sure because he'd been a quarterback, I guess. And, uh, he and another guy showed up and it was like, wow, this kid can play. I will say this, uh, that hip surgery 10 years ago, those guys were out for at the least a year. And, uh, to see, he may have come back faster than anybody. He had both hips uh, operated on that hip cartilage surgery in uh, in in August, and for him to come back the way he's come back, because by the end of the season he was out there, you know, running with the team and all that, which was pretty amazing. So that's a great, uh, uh, you know, great the fact that he's back. I think that's. Uh, that's terrific. I mean, they're going to have some real numbers at wide receiver. As far as Michael Pittman, uh, I think we'll know something when we see him next Tuesday. I think, uh, we, we really have tried to, to give him some space to, to just get used to what they're doing in the winter. And, uh, um, and, and, and nobody's, when you talk to the coaches and all that, I don't think they're, they're trying not to be real specific about players because they really want they want them to show up next week and, and, and show what they can do. And so, uh, there's kind of one of this sense of, you know, we're just not going to talk about the players that much. We're going to just see, you know, who's ready to play and, and what they do in practice. And, uh, we're going to let that, uh, and, and not have any, you know, preconceived, you know, notions. And even with the injury guys, I think a lot of it is, well, we're just going to see how, how it works out and what they can do. And, um, and so, we, we really don't know, I don't think, with, with, with Michael Pittman as to, you know, where he is with that injury. All right. Dan Weber, uh, check him out on USCfootball.com. Great columnist and beat writer. Thanks, Dan, for coming on. And, uh, we look forward to next week. We'll talk probably after spring fall, football starts. We'll get to talk about the first practice or two. Yeah. I can't wait. Uh, afternoon practices, Tuesday, Thursday at three o'clock, open to the public. Oh, yeah. And open. 10 o'clock. Saturday morning. So you guys are all invited. Uh, all but the spring game and one other practice will be, uh, at Howard Jones, Brian Kennedy Field. So, uh, um, you know, if you've got, you've got the ability to get out there, I think, uh, I think you'll, uh, you'll find it, uh, pretty enlightening to, uh, to not only watch the players, but I think a big part of this is going to be watch the coaches. And, uh, I'm fascinated as to how this is all going to work, but, uh, can't wait to see uh, some of these coaches in action, to be honest. Excuse me, I had a little sneeze there. <laughs> right at the oh. end of the show. Sorry about that. Excuse me. Um, well, great stuff, Dan. Thanks for coming on. And everyone else, thank you so much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. And we will talk to you next time.
Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.